This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. There is an anointing in the house. Well, I have a powerful word. I will run out of time. I know I will, but I'm going to deliver as much as I can this morning. Are you ready? Acts chapter 7 is where we're going. We've been spending time in the book of Acts. We've been talking about what brings shift. The power of the Holy Spirit. Being led by the Spirit. Learning to follow the voice and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Walking filled with the Spirit. And now we come to Acts chapter 7 where we've got to talk about what hinders... The shift, the divine supernatural shifts that God has in our life. Acts chapter 7 is a story and it it tells us uh, uh, of uh, what takes place in the life of Stephen. Stephen is the first martyr of the church. We know from Acts chapter 6, he's actually a deacon that was chosen in Acts chapter 6 when the needs of the church growth begin to grow and and, and just begin to put pressure on the church that the original apostles could not do it all. And so they elected leaders and chose leaders and, and those that were trained. They called them deacons at that time. We call them leaders today. But they chose deacons and he was one of the deacons. Now, he's not an apostle, he was a a deacon, and yet we see in chapter 6 and in chapter 7, he's a man full of faith. And may that be said about you and I. He's filled with the Holy Spirit, and may that be said about us. He's got grace and wisdom. Wisdom is how do you take the principles of God and apply them in your daily life. And we all need that. Wisdom. There's power and anointing when you get over in the end of chapter 6 and in, uh, and before we get to chapter 7. I mean, when he goes out to minister and he's defending the faith and he's preaching, there's miracles that begin to take place as he's preaching and ministering. So much so that it's going to lead him to a trial. And boy, sometimes when you, when you make a determination that there's a shift coming in your life and you're going to go in the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden the enemy begins to fight you. How many know what I'm talking about? And here, all of a sudden he finds himself uh, on, on trial and he's going to have to uh, uh, defend himself. Why? It's because he offended the Jews. So they start spreading lies, and, and, and they begin to try to persuade men. I mean, it's amazing when you look at uh, individuals in the Word of God where the enemy, and he would use the religious leaders, would try to stop the work of God. So they begin to uh, uh, spread lies, as you, as you see at the end of chapter 6, about Stephen. They're trying to persuade men to give a false witness against Stephen, And man, I'm just saying, when you take a stand, it angers the enemy. Come on, somebody. When you start fasting, determining you're going to make a shift, it angers the enemy. When you shift in your faith, when you begin to advance against the enemy's territory, when you begin to to, to do what God's anointed you to do, I'm here to tell you today, it angers the enemy, and he comes at you with everything that he has. How many know what I'm talking about? 
Maybe it's happened to you in the last few weeks. Give me a wave. Is man, you've been under some attack the last few weeks. It's because you've determined you're going to make a shift in your life. Pastor Nadine, we were pastoring the great church of Vienna Christian Center. And man, we were walking in revival. The church was growing. God was doing, I mean, he was just doing things that, that we read about in the book of Acts. And that was always my prayer. Is God, I don't want to just read about it. I want to see it. I want to I experience it. I don't have to be the one up leading it, but I want to be a part of it. How many can just say amen to that? And Pastor Nadine, man, we were just seeing God move and, and, and powerfully. People's lives were being changed and transformed. Buddhists and Muslims and Hindus are coming to Christ. And, and, and as we're doing that, I'm telling you, the enemy rose up his head and, and, uh, and he began to attack like we had never experienced then or since in our ministry. A man of God, we were in a conference not long after that, said if the enemy can't take you out, he's going after your family. And that just angers me. I'm just telling you, when the enemy shows his angry head. And I was preaching in our Filipino service, Pastor Nadine. I hope this never happens for you. And as I was preaching, I saw in the back of this auditorium a guy that was a little um, disturbed. He was pacing back and forth. And, and so I would walk to the other side because he was distracting me. So I would walk to the other side of the, the, the stage. And before I know it, he was walking to the other side of the auditorium. Now, we weren't smart enough to have security like you guys have we didn't have that, you know. <laughs> Holy Ghost, that's all I had, you know. And I'm walking back and forth and, and just trying to stay focused. So I'd act like I'm preaching to you. But in my mind, is this guy's bugging me. He is messing with me. Well, I get to the end of the sermon. I give the altar call, and he comes to the altar. I know you think it was sanctified and holy, but it wasn't. So now he's on that side, and so I moved to the other side. And I'm giving the salvation call and, and, uh, and I'm speaking. And the next thing I know is that rascal had moved himself over to the other side. Now, by this time, the Filipino red carpet team figured out this guy's missing some french fries of his Happy Meal. Something is wrong. And sure enough, they're walking with him. So now I got five ushers around this guy, and now I'm really distracted, and I'm trying to lead about 40 people in a salvation prayer. So what did I do is I moved to the other side of the altar. And I'm preaching now to these or, or ministering to these that are here, and sure enough, now it's like five people moving over. And as soon as I turned my back, I was right next to the, the steps. As soon as I turned my back, he rushed the stage. What I didn't know is he had a knife in his hand, and he rushed the stage. Now, I'm walking, and now I'm seeing something behind me, and they've tackled this guy. I mean, that's a Holy Ghost takedown. They've taken him down, and in the meantime, he's cut himself. He's cut others. Now they got security all over me, and they're moving me out. And it's like, no, 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 I got people back in the altar. Two weeks later, we give an altar call. There's a woman that comes up. She's in the altar. She's, you know, she's there. We're ministering to her. And the next thing I know, she's reaching out and she's trying to anoint my head. And, can oh, man, Candy was there. She rose up like a. And, can't, you know, Candy got on top and she, she wasn't on her, but over. And, man, she was Holy Spirit. I rebuke you. I and Candy walks away. And the next thing, 
The next thing I know, this woman is naked. I was going to say another word, but my mom's watching right now. I mean, it was all off. And (laughs) we're in church. Two weeks later, I'm in another auditorium of our campuses. And I lean down. I don't do it much anymore. (laughs) Before we got ready to preach, I said, let's pray. And I leaned down and I closed my eyes. If you wonder why I don't close my eyes anymore, this is... This is why, I'm just telling you, I'm telling you the truth, guys. And it's because when you take a stand, when you're advancing, when you're making a shift, I'm telling you, church, we're touching regions of the world, and the enemy is not going to stand by. And as I'm praying, I said, amen, and I look up, and there is a guy, and, 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 and all the, this is the African service, they must have all had their eyes closed, too, because this guy is looking at me straight in my face, and can I tell you, he, in my face. Yeah, it was pretty nasty, <laughs> and, and, well, then the Africans took him out, and, and I'm like, oh, let's pray for that brother, <laughs> you know, trying to wipe this out of my head, you know. And in every week, we lived, Candy shared about it Friday night, we lived in the middle, I'm sorry, our church was in the middle of an apartment complex, the houses were all up on top of us, and they weren't so excited about the revival and the miracle and what God was doing. When we started, it was a few hundred people, by this time, it's probably 1,500 people. The auditorium is, 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 is just a very small auditorium. People are waiting outside, never seen anything like it, except at the Brownsville Revival. They're waiting to get in. When service will finish, that one will leave, and that next group will come in. Nine services every weekend, just like that, and it annoyed the neighbors. Just like here. Stephen is annoying out of the miracles and all that God is doing. It's annoyed those religious leaders. And now they're going to put him on trial. And so every week they would call the police that the noise levels are so loud. The police would come out with their decibel readers and see how loud we were. And and try to shut us down to the point that I had to have our red carpet team with a script. Because I never knew which usher was going to interface with the police officers. And we needed them to say the right things and so when they would come they would reach up off the wall take out the script and they would start and so I'm preaching every week and in the back doors would walk in the police what was the enemy doing he was trying to silence the work of God well this is exactly what's happening right here now Stephen gets ready to preach and and he stands and he preaches in fact it's the longest sermon In the book of Acts. It's 53 verses. So Kanata, since it's the longest sermon in the book of Acts, it could probably be the longest sermon of the series. Amen? He gave me approval. He covers in these 53 verses 2,000 years of Jewish history. And he gets all the way down to verse 51. I'm not going to read it all. But he gets down to verse 51. He's covering their history. He's telling them how they have have, uh, rejected God throughout their their whole generational line. And Stephen says, you stiff-necked people. 
You have uncircumcised hearts and ears. You're just like your father's. He's been reviewing their history. You're just like them. You always resist the Holy Spirit. He charges Israel that you're a people that don't really worship God. You don't really, with your heart, pursue God. And unfortunately, there's many in churches today that that is the case. In those verses, he charges them with, a, with, with hypocrisy. That publicly in religious places and, 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 and in that place where it's the right thing to do, you, you're in the tabernacle, you're there, and, 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 and you, you, you're, you're carrying the presence of God. It was with you everywhere you went. But he said, your fathers. He said their hearts and their thoughts really didn't worship God scares us because the reality is we can be around the presence and around a move of God with miracles and signs and wonders and the fire of the Holy Spirit and it not be something that's touching our own hearts. Amazes me out of the powerful, uh, powerful services of worship and, and the word, how people will drift off and go to sleep and get distracted and bored when God's power is in their midst. The miracles are there. And Stephen said, that's just how your fathers were, and it's just how you were. I mean, he was laying it out to them, amen? I'm so glad I don't have to do that to you. I mean, he was just letting them have it. He said, you're a people that were greatly blessed. God blessed you. He gave you his presence and his favor was with you. He gave you great leaders that would lead you. You had the temple where you could go and experience God. You were greatly blessed and yet you rejected God. That's what Stephen said. He was challenging them. You had every opportunity and yet you still chose, he said, the world. Instead of God, you chose the things of the world. And he gets to that point where he says you've always resisted the Holy Spirit. You're stiff-necked. You're hard. You're callous. Your hearts are uncircumcised. I mean, he lays it out to them. And this is so important for you and I. If we're going to learn to walk in the shift. The manifestation of God's Spirit is more than something that we just pray about and then we passively wait for it to happen. Over and over we are seeing in this series that there is steps of faith. There are steps of courage. There is obedience that we walk in. And when we do, it moves us to the shift. But something has got to happen. And if we resist the Spirit, if we're stiff-necked, obstinate, you know, stubborn, if we have uncircumcised hearts, hearts that, 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 that are ungodly, pursues our own worship or pursues our own entertainment, then we could find ourselves resisting the very thing or blocking the very thing that will lead to the shifts that we've been praying about. When you look in the Bible, you see that resisting the Holy Spirit really entails four things. I'm going to try to cover two today. I may not get through all of it. But the first is we quench the spirit. We're going to talk about that today. We grieve the spirit. We see that we can resist the Holy Spirit by lying to the spirit. We won't cover that today. And we can also blasphemy the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about the first two. The first is quenching the spirit. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. I think they'll be on the screen. Matthew chapter 13 
Matthew chapter 13 is our first scripture that I'd like for us to read. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never, never what? We hear the word, but we don't understand the word. You will be ever seeing, you'll see the move of God, you'll see miracles, you'll see great outpourings, but you're never perceiving. Why? It's because they're closed to the message of the truth. For the people's hearts are callous. Quite honestly, a callous heart is speaking more to one who knows the faith, knows the Lord, has a relationship with God. It's not talking about an unbeliever that has not yet understood the way of salvation. It's one that has understood and they've allowed their heart to get calloused. And therefore, it challenges all of us. You become callous that you hardly hear with your ears and you've closed your eyes because if you hadn't otherwise, you might see and you might hear. Your eyes would be open and you would hear and your ears would be open. Uh, Your eyes would be open and you would see and your ears would be open and you would hear and you would understand with your heart, your soul, and you would turn and I would heal you. As you look at it, you begin to see that this is powerful. That under powerful times of the word and preaching, God brings revelation to you and I. A definition. Well, before I go to a definition, look with, one, with me at one more verse. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. Do I have it for the screen? Read it with me. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not quench the Spirit. So what does it mean to quench? Well, it means to, to, to stifle or to snuff out. You put something out or, or you stop it. Or another definition is that you suppress. And in this sense, you suppress the Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit is always working in our life, and He's leading us to do the will of God. But if we're not careful, we can snuff it out. We can stop it. We can suppress it. The best way for me to explain to you what quenching the Spirit is, is to take you to the, to the Old Testament. So turn with me to Psalms 78. In Psalms 78, we see an example of Israel and how the Israelites had quenched the Spirit. In Psalm 78, I'll start reading in verse 10. It says, they did not keep God's covenant. They didn't keep it, but they re- and they refused to live by his laws. They forgot what he had done, the wonders that he had shown them. You see, one of the things that God is showing us in, in, the, in the book of Psalms is that we quench the spirit when we ignore or forget God. See, God had freed the Israelites from Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. He provided for them in the desert. He was leading them. He was shifting them and moving them to the promise, to the prayer, to the blessing, to that which they had dreamed about and prayed about. And in spite of all of that, they kept, sing, they kept sinning and, and turning away from God. They hardened their hearts. They neglected him. They, they ignored him. And no one will succeed if they ignore God. God is holy. God is just. 
If we go about our day and we're in tune with the Spirit, then God leads us and guides us. We hear Him. We're led by the Spirit. We're full of the Spirit. We walk in His wisdom because He's guiding us. What we must fight as believers is this spirit of, of familiarity, this, this spirit that, that can overcome us of apathy and callousness. I've been there. I've done it. I've been there for years and years. And we lose a reverence and a fear for God. So in 2023, my challenge to us, and we're, we're beginning to talk about it on our Noonday program, and we're asking ourselves as pastors, how can we help you, is that in 2023, I can tell you one of the ways that you and I can make sure that we don't ignore God and forget God is we begin to determine that this is going to be a year of Bible engagement, that we're going to be in the Word, that daily we're going to let the Word refresh us and renew us because it will transform us, and it won't have to be just about sermons on Sunday, but it'll be what the Spirit of God is speaking to us all through the week, just like we've been doing through the book of Acts, we begin to get into the Word of God. Refreshing comes, renewing comes, it gives me focus. We recommend to you a a method that we call SOAP, S-O-A-P, that we we will lead you, and we're going to actually try to to be better at at keeping us unified on the on the same scriptures for a few more months. Where together, like we've been reading the book of Acts, we will move from the book of Acts to another book where we can be reading the same scripture together. Somehow, we're going to continue to to take observations. That's the O. And and begin to observe what's happening in this passage. And then the A is how does that apply to my life? And then have a moment of prayer where there's commitment, fresh commitment, a renewed commitment that says, God, we're not going to forget you. We're going to walk in your way. We're going to be a people that are led by the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit, full of the Holy Ghost so that we can see the miracles like Stephen saw in his life. Here, he says about them, you ignored me. You forgot me. You didn't continue to live by my law. You forgot what I had done before. And you forgot the miracles and everything that I've given to you and everything that I've done. And that's the power of a testimony. A testimony helps us to remember the blessings of God. He goes on. If we go a little bit deeper, down to verse 19, the psalmist says, Israel spoke against God saying, that's one thing to speak about me, speak about somebody else, but it's a whole other thing when you speak about God. And they spoke against God saying, can God spread a table in the desert? When he struck the water, when he struck the rock, water gushed out and streams flowed abundantly. But can he give us food? I mean, it's just like us today. Can he supply meat for his people? You see, what's happening, and it was the great sin of Israel, and it's a sin that we must watch in our own heart because it's one of the ways that we resist the spirit and quench the spirit. Is When we start grumbling and fault-finding and murmuring and complaining, can I tell you, we are going to hinder in our spiritual life divine supernatural shifts. And I just want to challenge all of us here that this is a mental stronghold that we must recognize, take hold of, and pull it down. 
a mental stronghold that has us complaining and murmuring and griping. It's, it's a negative mind. And when we get into that space, it steals our joy. Paul says it this way in Philippians 2.4. Do all things without, say without, grumbling, murmuring, fault finding, and complaining. By the way, it's not a suggestion. When you go back to the original Greek, it is a command. Do all things without. He's saying, do all things without murmuring behind someone's back. The undertones of what we say. Criticizing. Creating distractions. And, and because of a, a dissatisfaction, we begin to find fault. And we begin to gossip. And we justify what we do. As though our opinion is the right way. Often, Pastor Kevin, this is not done in public settings where we can talk about it. But it's usually done privately in text messages, calls over in a corner, in a dark corner somewhere. Why? It's because it's sin and it's going to stay hidden because it's not of God. The scripture is very clear. Murmuring, complaining, and fault finding is not of the Lord. Now, I'm not saying that we don't strive to be as effective and to do what God has called us to do. But when we murmur, there's a great impact that happens in our life and in the work of the church. It hurts, it damages, it divides, it tears down, it doesn't build up. It, it really is, look at me, my way's the right way. It elevates someone's selfish opinion. It, 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 it can even position us then that we're opposing the will of God. And when that happens, we hinder progress and, and, and we, we stifle growth. And it begins to mislead people because we will say something about somebody else. And it will create a narrative that somebody will have. And all of a sudden, we're a tailbearer, a tailbearer and we're linking with others. And in that moment, we begin to bring ourselves to a place that hinders us. But Paul would say, do all things without grumbling or disputing. You see, I've got to remind myself when I find myself in those moments that this is an honoring to God. I've got to remind myself that I'm trusting God, that I need to be a part of the solution. If it's something that will advance the kingdom of God, then how can we get together and work together in unity to do what God is calling us to do? And then ultimately, I've got to remind myself that I come under authority. Which means then I don't have the final say. So God, give me grace, give me gratitude, give me joy. And I've learned it's my choice. Until my attitude can glorify God, especially when I don't like what's going on, especially in times of suffering, and especially in those times where, where, where the heat is turned up. If I'm not careful, my, my murmuring, complaining, and, 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 and fault finding, and all of that criticism and everything, if I'm not careful, I will get myself in a position where I hinder what God wants to do in my life. Why am I preaching to us today? It's because we've been walking through a series of how can we walk into the blessings and see shift in our lives. And a warning that Paul gave to the church of Corinth. If you look there on the screen, 1 Corinthians 10, he gives a clear warning to the believers and to the church. And Paul says, we should not test the Lord. Speaking about Israel, as some of them did, 
And when they tested God, they were, <laughs> man, Paul was such a hard preacher. I love you. <laughs> I, I, just, I couldn't do this. But Paul said, you know, they were killed by snakes. Do not grumble. He's telling us how and why. It's because they grumbled. And they were killed by a destroying angel. Well, I think you get the point. The Israelites complained. And they remained in the wilderness. The result was judgment and punishment by the destroyer. God says an angel was sent <laughs> to execute God's judgment. Now the real conviction for me is this spirit is the spirit of the religious. It's the number one thing that held Israel back from walking into the blessing. And therefore, I find myself repeatedly saying, God, I crucify my rights. I lay them down. I want to walk in humility. I want to realize, God, that you are greater than anything that I can think, dream, or even imagine. And therefore, that even goes above my own opinions. And I don't want to perish in the wilderness and never see the shift of bringing me into the promised land. And so, God, I am determined that I'm not going to resist you. I'm not going to quench your spirit. Why do we say every week we're going to build up and not tear down as a reminder to walk in humility? That we're going to encourage and not discourage. It's a reminder that we're together. We're the body, and we're going to walk together. The third thing here in, in, the, in the book of Psalms that the psalmist said that Israel did that caused them to quench the spirit is found in verse 10. I read it a moment ago. Let me go back to it. He says, they did not keep God's commandments or covenants, and they refused to live by their laws, his laws. If you were to go down a little bit further to verse 41, same chapter, again and again, they turned away and tempted God to kill them. And they limited the Holy One of Israel, the one that was going to give them his blessings. I think I can just say this and move on. Is obedient faith activates divine shifts. Obedience is the proof that I truly trust him. My sheep hear my voice. They know me and they follow me. It activates. It's something that begins to move me. It's the proof that I trust him and I believe that he is going to do what he's promised. Can I hear an amen? Divine shifts are only guaranteed to those who walk in obedience. The fourth thing the psalmist said is found in verse 21 and 22 of Psalm 78. Jehovah heard them and was angry. The fire of his wrath burned against Israel. Why? Because they didn't believe in God or trust in him to care for them. Basically, he is saying there was a lack of trust. There was disbelief. 
And really, it's the root. But when I walk in obedience, when I learn to, 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 to know him and to be led by him and everything that we've been talking about, about being filled with the Spirit, in those moments when I don't understand, I may not know what's happening. I don't know why or, 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 or what the enemy's doing. But there's one thing that rises up in my spirit is I know in whom I believe. And there is a faith that he will silence the enemy. There is a faith that he will not forsake the righteous. There is a faith that he is the one that will guard us and protect us. When it doesn't seem fair or it doesn't seem right, I can trust that he will work it out for my good. So he says, Thomas, do you believe me? Do you really believe me? Do you really see what I'm doing? And in my walk of obedience, it's yes, Lord, I believe. Yes, Lord, I'm going to see it. Yes, Lord, I'm going to continue to hold on. I'm not waiting for a revival. I'm walking in a revival. That's because I'm filled with the Spirit, anointed by God, yielded to Him. And as I walk in my obedience, there is a breakthrough shift that's coming. You may not see it, but God sees. You may not know what's going on, but he's working. When I don't see it, he's working. When I don't understand it, he is working. I may not understand why that person is acting the way they do. Are they demon-possessed? I don't know. Is there something that they have in their heart against me? I don't know. But when I don't understand it, he's still working. The only thing I can say to you, every one of us today, is that we've got to determine in our hearts that, God, we are not going to grieve your spirit. We're not going to resist your spirit, but we're going to be a people that trust the Lord. Can I hear an amen? Do we have time for me to get to the second one today? If not, Nadine has to preach it next week. But then that messes us up next week because the campuses, I'm sure, preached it today. So can I get through it for a few moments? All right, turn to your neighbor and say, he's going to get through. You're going to be with him. And if someone starts nodding, just, I'm going to give you permission, slap the back of their head, wake them up. Just gently. But I don't want no lawsuits. Just What's grieving? Grieving the spirit is when you offend or sadden the Holy Spirit. When you, do which, when you do that which is contrary to the person and the nature of the Spirit, we grieve the Spirit. Now, it may be a little difficult to explain it in a cognitive way because it really is a deep emotion. But it's like a, a small child that, that, that does something that, uh, that uh, they know has, has pained or hurt their parents when they act contrary maybe to the counsel of their parents and, and it hurts them and it grieves the parent because they see the decision or the actions of what their child is doing. When one does something contrary to the counsel of the Holy Spirit, to the counsel of being led by the Spirit, to the counsel of the Word of God, that is our guidebook that leads us and guides us. When we, when we do what is contrary to it, it grieves the Spirit. So it's a deep emotional sorrow. 
Therefore, I've got to know, we've got to know and have to learn what are the things that grieve the Spirit so that we can avoid hurting and grieving Him in our walk with Him. Paul says it this way over in Ephesians 4, because grieving the Spirit in the New Testament especially deals not only with our relationship with God, but it also deals with our relationship with one another in the body of God, the body of Christ. So Ephesians 4.29, Paul says to the church of Ephesus, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only build up, not tear down, encourage, not discourage. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for what? Building, say it again, building others up according to your needs. Oh, their needs. I'm sorry, their needs. That it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid. Say it. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Now, that really is a whole sermon of its own, but I'm going to give it to you in a few simple thoughts. First of all, can I tell you that you will grieve the Spirit. We I'll put myself in the first person. I will grieve the Spirit in my walk with God if I don't learn to discipline my desires. If I don't learn to take hold of my desires, I will grieve the Spirit. Paul says in Galatians 6, 7, don't be misled. Remember that you cannot ignore God and get away with it. A man will always reap just the kind of crop that he sows. If he sows to please his own wrong desires, he will be planting seeds of evil and surely will reap a harvest of spiritual decay and death. See, if I don't discipline my desires, the scripture said, if I only meet my own desires and what my flesh desires, what the world tells me is the right thing, what I want, what the enemy tempts me to do, if that's all that I do, I don't learn to discipline my desires, I will grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, it's easy for people to make an excuse and say, oh, just this once. I can go out and do it because tomorrow I'm going to church and I'm going to repent. No, 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 no. That's not how Paul says in, 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 in Romans 6, you can't abuse the grace of God like that. The grace of God is not a license to sin. The grace of God is released when I repent of my sin and the repentance of my sin turns me away from my sin and it turns me to God. So I can't willingly sin and then go to church the next day and get down on the altar, or most don't even come to the altar anymore, but get down in the altar and say, God, forgive me. God, forgive 
Okay, God will forgive you if you really get up and begin walking with God in obedience. But if you get up and you full well know next week you're going to be right there again. Next week you're going to be doing it again. If you feed your flesh and you don't discipline your desires, you will grieve the Holy Spirit. And man, Satan's favorite thing is to get us to rationalize our sin. Oh, it's just a little thing. Oh, it's, it's no big deal. Oh, that's, that's old-fashioned. The government's approved it. It's just prescription drugs. I, I've got a license to buy that marijuana. I mean... I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that we rationalize. And I know there's all kinds of medical things, so I'm not going to be like Paul and stay hard. I, I, I'll put some grace there, but I'll tell you where there isn't discipline in the church, and that is in the area of self-control. We do not exercise self-control over our flesh. We feed the flesh and deny the spirit and believe that there's a shift and a breakthrough that's coming. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, I will not be mastered by anything. Proverbs 25, verse 28, anyone who lacks self-control is like a city whose walls are broken down. Pastor Nadine, we were talking about that this week. Right, right there, there you go. If they don't have self-control, their walls are going to be broken down. <laughs> this evangelist is going to go preach my sermon. I just, I just know. <laughs> no, it was her thought first. Galatians 5, 16. Walk in the spirit and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. 1 Peter 4, 1, strengthen yourself in Christ, with Christ, and with his way of thinking. Live like your lives are controlled by God's will and not by human desires. So the simple thought is that we've got to discipline our desires. If you don't, if we don't, we will grieve the Spirit. Secondly, you've got to restrain... Your reactions. Bitterness will block the work of God in your life. It will hinder divine shifts. We're living in a time and an age where people, and I think we are getting caught into it as well as believers, are offended by everything. We get rejected. We get offended. We get made fun of. We get offended. Somebody gossips about you and hear about it. What happens? You get offended. They say something you don't even like. Or something you don't agree with. They make their voice vocal like you're making your voice vocal. And you get offended. You don't get included or you're forgotten. And you get offended. You don't get an invitation to the wedding.
They didn't invite you to the game night. You walked up, hey, what you guys doing? We're going out to eat. And there's no invitation that follows. They forgot your birthday or your anniversary. Your opinion is ignored or rejected. You get offended. Man, really. We find ourselves getting offended about everything. <laughs> we even get offended if we go to the restaurant and we have to wait. Get ready. They're a waitress. They're there to make you wait. But we get offended. I'm never coming back to this restaurant again. What'd you expect? They're a waiter. <laughs> and by the way, you tip them to wait. It just happens. Grouchy people, they explode. They erupt on you. Someone interrupts you. Don't you hate it when someone's talking? I do it all the time. I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. I do it all the time. I know where I want to go. I know what we need to do. I'm getting tired of all the talk, and I interrupt. And it's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I probably don't say sorry enough. And we get offended. Do you, do you, are you following me? Rude, insulting, disrespectful people. They offend us. But here is the lesson. The emotionally strong, the spiritually strong, those that are walking in obedience and in humility, that are led by the Spirit and filled by the Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit, can I tell you that they learn that they are not going to react to those that mistreat them or misunderstand them. But the reality for them is that they've mastered this, and that is they're going to restrain their reactions. Do you have a right to say something? Maybe. But in the spirit, I restrain it. Man, if we looked in the Old Testament, Samson was one that lived in a constant state of resentment and anger and bitterness. I mean, he just got offended about everything. And, and then he had the power to do something about it. In fact, over in, in Judges chapter 15, it said, Samson said to them, this time I have a right to get even with the Philistines. I really want to harm them. Now, we've all been there, haven't we? I have a right. I want to harm them. Man, he goes on to say, since you acted like this, I won't stop, Samson said in verse 7, until I get my revenge on you. Now, the excuse that I make is, well, they hurt me first. They shouldn't have said what they said. They shouldn't have ignored me. And, and, and we, we start making all of these excuses. But when someone gets offended, what happens is we begin to build a wall, a wall of protection. And all of a sudden, our focus is on self-preservation instead of what God wants to do. And that's why Proverbs says, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man will keep himself under control. So here I begin to realize that my spiritual breakthrough is going to enable me to overcome my hurt. I am not going to let uh, resentment to be my lot. Resentment is poison that I drink, hoping that it's going to kill somebody else. And so I'm not going to do it, and I'm going to hold on. Romans 12, verse 17, if someone has done you wrong, do not repay him with a wrong. Try to do what everyone considers to be good. 
do everything possible on your part to live in peace with everybody. Can we just say amen? The last two thoughts, the musicians can come back. You grieve the spirit when we don't keep our commitments. When I make covenants and commitments to the Lord, and I don't keep what I've said to the Lord in my walk with him, in the decisions that I've made, in the commitments that he desires to be a child of God, if I'm not careful and I don't keep my commitments, it grieves the spirit. We're living in a time and age where people are driven by their feelings. They don't make prior commitments because they want to keep their options open. But our feelings can be fickle. They can be deceitful. They can be unstable. We will not see God's divine shifts until we learn to live beyond our feelings and keep our commitments. That we learn to do what is right because it's the right thing to do. Especially if I don't feel like it. Now I can tell you as your pastor, people confuse their feelings with God's will all the time. I can't tell you how many times people for every decision they make, has now said, it's God's will. I believe God wants me. I, I believe this is what the Lord wants. Just admit it's what you feel you should do. Just because I feel something doesn't mean it's God's will for me. Now, feelings are not evil, but neither are they holy. And I must learn to control manage my emotions and keep my commitments because it will keep me stable in my walk of obedience. And I don't know about you, but our feelings can act up on us. I mean, come on. Change of life. They'll act up on you. Stress at work. They'll act up on you. Anxiety. They'll act up on you. Somebody has done something to hurt you say it with me they'll act up on you you're waiting in times of change when there's conflict when you lack rest and sleep and proper nutrition I'm telling you the last two weeks in fasting my feelings have been all over the place good bad ugly all over I mean, I'm gonna eat everything everywhere <laughs> I'm feeling hungry it acts up on me if we're not careful Hear me, our feelings become a God. And so we got to keep our commitments if we're going to be led by the Spirit and anointed by the Spirit. If we walk in obedience according to His Word and we're refreshed by His Word and it's the guardrails and the guidelines of our life, then it will help my feelings to get into alignment to the will of God. And I just learned, actually it's a lesson I've just learned this last week. Reminded, I should probably say, but Feelings distort the truth. My guilt, my shame, my conviction of the Holy Spirit, it distorts things. 
So John says it this way. First John 2.15, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has or does does not come from the Father, but from the world. Sure, I can make an excuse. Oh, it's different for me. No, I'm rationalizing. I keep my commitments. And lastly, we read in Ephesians, Ephesians 4.32, that if we don't forgive as we are forgiven, we grieve the Spirit. Paul says in Colossians 3.13, he says, if you make, you must make, it's a command, say it with me, you must make. Make what? Allowances for each other's faults. And, oh, I don't have it on the screen, sorry. Uh, 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 you must make allowances for each other's faults. And forgive the person who offends you. Why? Because the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. When he says make allowance, I'm going to end with this thought. It's so good. When he says make allowance for others, it means bear with them. It means, <laughs> now husbands and wives, you can't use this. This is just a preaching point. You don't nudge. You don't say, mm-hmm. Preach it. Making allowance means that you endure the other. It means that you tolerate them. You make allowance for them. Now, it's a command. And if we don't do it, then the reality is we hinder what God's wanting to do. I can tell you, it's hard to destroy a relationship where you're continuously forgiving every offense. Boy, Scripture says forgive 70 times 7 a day. And yet somehow we forget it. We give them one, maybe two, and then we block them. I, I, I don't know what got into me today. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but... No, I'm going to make allowance. I'm going to endure. I'm going to tolerate. I'm going to forgive because he forgave me. Now, I haven't conquered it. I know you think I have. I haven't conquered it. And I know you haven't conquered it. And grieving the spirit and resisting the spirit, quenching the spirit, really has everything to do with a believer in their walk. Say, this is not for unbelievers. This is for us as believers. And by the way, if you resist the Spirit, He withdraws His presence. He withdraws from you. If you resist and you get the attitude of the Pharisees and, and Sadducees and, and you grieve the Spirit, if you do that, He withdraws. The psalmist said, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Why? He knew that his sin was causing the Spirit 
to retreat. So God help me. If I resist the spirit, not only does his presence withdraw, but his power, his protection, his providence, the prosperity, everything that we're believing for in a shift is blocked. The key, Stephen gives us the key. In verse 55, in the very last verses, to not resisting. Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. Everything we just talked about today, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus was standing at the right hand of God and said, look, Stephen said, I see heaven open up. Don't you want heaven to open up? I see heaven open up and the glory is there and the Son of Man is standing at the right hand of God. What is the key is keep your eyes fixed on eternity. Keep your eyes fixed on the glory of God. And as you and I learn that we're going to be led by the Spirit, we're going to walk in the Spirit, we're going to be anointed by the Spirit, we're going to walk a walk of obedience when that happens, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. I can tell you right now heavens will open and shifts will come and you will walk into your blessing give the Lord praise stand with me across this auditorium hallelujah somebody just begin to worship him for a moment right where you're at just begin to praise him and thank him and glorify him begin to thank him that you are led by his spirit filled with his spirit anointed by his spirit that you are fixing your eyes on eternity you're going to look beyond the things of this world you're going to look to the things that are established for you in heavenly places and you're going to begin to determine that Father God, I will be a man of God, a woman of God. I will be a person that is anointed by God and I will let nothing, nothing, say it with me, nothing, 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 nothing hinder, oh God, the work of what you want to do in my life. Father, anoint us. The worship team's going to begin to lead us, but I'm going to invite our prayer team our pastors, our staff member, board members, their wives, life group leaders, I, and they're going to come around the altars. And if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit today, you want to begin to walk in a power and an anointing today, I want you to come. If you have felt in your heart through the preaching of the word today, under conviction of the Holy Spirit today, that there are areas in your life that you have been grieving the Spirit or you've been quenching the Spirit and therefore resisting the Spirit, then I want you to come and I want this altar in this time around the altar to be a time where you're confessing it and turning it and rededicating and beginning to say, God, I want to walk. I want to walk a walk of obedience. I'm going to discipline my desires. I'm going to restrain my reactions. I'm going to keep my commitments. And I'm going to be forgiving as I've been forgiven. Father God, I want a fresh anointing. If under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, you know that you need to come, then I want you to come. If you've never been filled with the Holy Spirit, we want to pray with you and help you to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
You got to stir up that gift. You got to begin to pray in your heavenly language. Begin to let your prayer language rise up and begin to commune with God that there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So as I begin to open up this altar and the worship team begins to lead us, I want you to begin to come. I want you to begin to come and I want you to soak in the presence of God and ponder the word of God and make commitments today in the altar and through the auditorium and across the airways to say, God, I'm not going to hinder your spirit. Father, as we open up these altars now, I pray for the miraculous. I pray for signs and wonders. I pray that gifts will be released. I pray that many will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Sin will be repented of. And that, Father God, in these altars today and in this atmosphere today, that you will be glorified by your people. We worship you, God. We worship. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.